in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I am your host, Heidi Dusick. It is such a fine day for me to release this episode. It's been kind of a fun little journey. I have several podcasting coaching clients now, which I don't even know if I've ever shared that I do podcast coaching, but it's one of those things I've been thinking about and offering in the background and realized I've never really shared the inspiration behind what started the podcast, some of the technical guidance that I received as well. So excited to kind of share this with you today. If you do have a podcast and you are interested in learning more about podcasting, or you're just interested in learning more about the medium, I'll include some links in the show notes, both my coaching link, but also just some resources that I'm putting on the website, my website or on Ordinary Sherpa, that will help you through the process. I have not found a medium more meaningful than podcasting. It's been one of those things that I really appreciated in just in building a network and having meaningful conversations in telling your story. And really like having conversations about things that need to be talked about that we're not finding in the sector, regardless of what sector you're in, whether it's business or podcasting or adventure or community change work, whatever that is, it's really interesting to see the role that podcasting is playing in some of those work. And so it's been a fun medium for me. I really enjoy it. And I wanted to share more about the person who inspired me. So our guest today is someone that I also have been working with behind the scenes and building out the course that I took a little bit more extensively and potentially building out a community around it. So I realized that I've been sitting on this episode for quite a while. We recorded it a while ago and, you know, we haven't officially launched anything yet. So I felt like I needed to hold on to it until we did launch. And I realized, you know, let's just share. Let's just share a little bit about the backstory of about his journey into podcasting. With that, I'm really excited to have our guest today. I was exposed to our guest after telling a friend I was thinking about becoming a travel rewards junkie, and she suggested I listen to this podcast. And on the very first episode, our guest today was telling a story about how he traveled to Africa to see his wife's family using travel rewards, and I was stunned. I went on to listen to several hundred more episodes. Their conversation is very casual, their tone was very welcoming, and it was a welcome relief in the personal finance space. It became the podcast I listened to regularly in the early stages of podcasting. And to me, these hosts were superheroes that gave me just a completely different perspective on life, work, and money, quite honestly. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I'll ever be a guest on their podcast. And ironically, I was. Early in August of 2021, I was a guest on their podcast, which is how many of you probably found Ordinary Sherpa. Prior to discovering financial independence, early retirement movement, Jonathan Mendonza was on the normal path, which ultimately led him to graduate pharmacy school at the age of 28, and $168,000 in debt. He has since clawed his way out of debt and is aggressively pursuing financial independence. He's passionate about financial independence and the power to change lives. He is the co-host of Choose FI podcast, 
the founder of Talent Stacker, a dad to two young kids, a techie, a podcast guru, and an inspiration behind Ordinary Sherpa taking action and actually bringing this podcast to life. Jonathan Mendonza, it is such an honor to have this conversation with you today. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Wow, Heidi. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I could not be more excited to be here. Yeah, let's talk about your podcast origin story a little bit. So you're a pharmacist, and I'm just imagining like... You're really professional. You're really, you know, very booky. There's a lot of things that go into becoming a pharmacist. And then you jump ship and get into personal finance podcasting. So help me understand this journey. What motivated you to start the Choose FI podcast? Wow, Heidi. All right. So let's see. So yeah, I'm trying to put myself back in my pharmacy shoes because I have ripped them off. I've incinerated (laughs) them. I've walked away. Like it wasn't necessarily a burn bridge at the time. But now with a couple years extra space, it's like, all right, it's I'm never going back. But really, my financial independence story and my kind of entrepreneurial journey, you have to go back a few years earlier and look back at the new graduate 2013 that graduated with $168,000 in student loan debt. And maybe even a couple of years before that, recognizing that that was going to be the case. And when I look at, well, why were you interested in pharmacy? Like I wanted to make a great income you know, wanted to have a profession that had a steady growth potential. And, you know, it's going to be a reliable source of income for many, many years. I would like to do well financially. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that the trajectory I was actually on was that I was going to have six figures of student loan debt. And most of my income was probably just going to go to repaying that debt for a very, very long period of time. And I was like, you got to be able to do better. So really this puts us more like 2010 to 2012. And I stumble upon much like you, the financial independence community and these people that you know, really wove this incredible tale around just everyday people's ability to kind of defy the odds and reclaim not just their golden years, but their best years. And and the, the common theme was they look for ways to massively increase their savings rate. Okay. That's I'm, 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 I'm consuming this information, mm-hmm. consuming this information. And my boring story is that as a pharmacist and pharmacy manager, you know, you, you work your shifts, sometimes they're day, sometimes they're night, sometimes they're weekends. So, you know, it's a really, you know, hectic schedule that many people can relate to. And my kind of thing that I looked forward to every two weeks was knowing that I'd completed this biweekly paycheck and that I was going to get my paycheck. And, you know, 60, 70% of that paycheck was just going to go towards student loans. I was trying to aggressively pay it down within four years. But this is like, you know, people look at the financial independence and this is a glamorous aspect that you've reached financial yeah. independence. But most of us aren't even starting at broke. Getting to broke is like is an aspirational goal because we're digging our way out of, you know, massive, massive debt. And that's the part that nobody sees and and nobody really talks about. And that's really all I had to look forward to for for several years, you know, and it just, you know, you uh, you you come to the end of the pay period and you make the decision, you make the decision to pay extra on the student loans. And then to get myself excited about that, we I would had a whiteboard up in an office and I would I broke the whiteboard up into I think a hundred checkboxes, each of which represented a pay period. So do the math on that, it's kind of spread out over four years. And after this very toxic, long bi-weekly pay period, I'm usually coming in after a weekend that I've worked, I just go up there and I'd, I'd say, yep, check this box off because this represents a week that I'm making that choice to pay down those student loans aggressively. And kind of what kept me going was that there was this tribe of people that I viewed as being replicable, being relatable, being someone that I could aspire to be like and look at the amazing results they got in a relatively short period of time. So my enthusiasm, the tiny piece of me though, that like made me want to then start creating content. And this is after listening to hundreds, if not thousands of hours of podcasts 
was that I feel like I was hearing from a lot of people that had done this. Hey, look what I did. And I was like, well, what about me? I'm doing it now. Yeah. Like, does it still work? Does it still work now? It was great if you were pursuing financial independence from 2000 to 2010. We know how that story worked out. But like, <laughs> here I am starting to broke now. Who's doing it now and telling their story from now? All the people were kind of there at the finish line. And even then, that was just kind of an idea. We all have ideas. Ideas sit on the shelves untended, you know, and they just they just gather dust. And I heard, you know, you're, you mentioned travel rewards. I actually heard uh, my co-host that Choose a Five, Brad Barrett, do a podcast episode with Mad Scientist talking about travel rewards. And, and that's great. We always hear a lot of interesting people doing, talking about a lot of interesting things. But the key that stood out was he lived in Richmond, Virginia, which happens to be where I live. And I was like, wait a second, because we always think about these people somewhere. Yeah that are doing something cool. These people, some, and it's hard to like translate that into this is a real person, likely with a real family, with real obstacles in their lives. You know, you kind of set these, these avatars up on these pedestals of financial greatness, yeah. right? And knowing that Brad was in this area and, and he was pursuing, you know, travel rewards in particular, you mentioned that. I was like, wait, I should reach out to him, see if he wants to talk about this stuff. And yeah, I broached the topic and we got lunch and we had a great chat about travel rewards. And, and I had some idea. I was like, dude, I think it'd be really cool if, uh, you know, we, I did like a, I want to do a blog or do a podcast or something talking about this. I think there's space. I think there's room in this space for someone to be talking about it. not what they did 10 years ago, but what they're doing right now. Right. And he's like, oh, I think that'd be a really great idea. It'd be an awesome idea. And so I walked away from that lunch really motivated and pumped. And that motivation lasted for about 48 hours. And I, and I thought about the idea and, and then I did nothing. I just went back to work, right? Work got in the way. Work was a stressful work. And that's one week, two weeks, three weeks of nothingness. And this is the part, this is where the story gets actually interesting in that I woke up one morning, rolling out of bed, go to work. And I had a text message from Brad saying, Hey dude, I just wanted to follow up with you and ask you, did you do anything? That was a really cool idea you had. Did, did you do anything with it? I had done nothing, but I wasn't going to tell that to him. <laughs> So instead I, I said, yeah, dude, I got all this really cool stuff to show you. So I, as soon as like that happened, that lie happened, you know, um, I, I went to work, had to finish my shift, came back home and then Googled, you know, how do I start a podcast? How do I start a blog? How do I, all these, this was really that moment, that day, that was the place where, you know, that a question wasn't just, it wasn't just around consuming something. It was actually with, I was going to do whatever it said. I was going to do it yeah. because I, I had now set myself up to have to demo to him, you know, all these things that I created. And so now I had a discrete window of time to manifest that. And even more than that, that's kind of interesting. It was actually that accountability piece where someone held me accountable for something that I said was really cool and that I wanted to do. Just the fact that he actually cared. Mm -hmm that, you know, about that idea was enough for me to take it from, you know, an idea gathering dust on the bookshelf to something, no, this was really going to happen. So I whipped up how to start a blog tutorial. That was relatively simple. And uh, I wrote up an article or whatnot. I, I said, Hey, let's meet up for lunch again. And I had kind of expanded my idea in the interim between when I originally had the idea and when we were going to meet up for lunch again, I kind of started to build out this idea. And I was thinking about what would this be? And, and I remember doing some brainstorming about, what the brand name was going to be and really latched onto this idea. Like I love financial independence, but I feel like the reason that I'm pursuing it now is I had to make a bunch of choices. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, all right, so I'm, I'm choosing financial independence. So I brought him this idea for this, this idea of choosing financial independence, choose FI. And, and I was like, you know what, Brad, like, you know, I, I kind of feel like a little bit of imposter here on the scene. Uh, I know that this is something that you've been talking about for a bit. I think I have a lot to add to the conversation, 
But what if we actually tackled this together and we have two perspectives, someone that's done it, you know, on the other side, basically, and then someone that's on the path. And to this day, I don't really understand I, why, but he said <laughs> yes to that. I mean, can you imagine someone approaching you out of nowhere? And he said, yes, I think his wife even asked him, why did you say yes? I, I don't know, but I did. Uh, <laughs> so that was the, that's the origin, that's the origin of Chooseify. And, and I set all this up to say those initial searches that were followed, not just the idea, but, but the search is followed by action, no matter how flawed or how many mistakes you made along the way. That was the inflection point for me going from someone like I had just spent the last eight years of my life and maybe even longer than that in pursuit of a degree and a job that I knew was going to be handed to me because I got that degree and that license. Very linear, not interest led learning. Rather, it's like in pursuit of a corporate goal, in pursuit of a stable, you know, high paying, well compensated job. And I never really considered the fact that you can learn anything you want. You can learn anything you want. And some things are so much more interesting than others. So much more interesting. You can do anything. And I think to add one more tiny little bit of flavor on there, old me probably was just terrified of the concept of failure. Mm -hmm. And like through that process, if you can fail small, if you can fail quickly and then you can fail forward, man, that's so powerful. And when you give yourself a sandbox, a creative sandbox to start testing these ideas, when the, whether you're talking about content creation or something else, testing these ideas and failing, but then quickly pivoting off of that and recognizing that's one thing that doesn't work. Let's pivot and move over here. Man, it's, it's, a, it's a life-changing paradigm. And so all of this kind of happened in a relatively short period of time in terms of going from maybe somewhat not content to looking to start some sort of side hustle to feed those interests, something more interesting than a video game, whatever it was, then suddenly becoming very comfortable and confident in the process of failure. That became something that became very exciting to me and opened up another aspect of, you know, really my personality and also kind of really offered me some options for this next chapter in my life. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot there. We're going to pull apart little pieces because I think one of the key pieces you said, and you actually just ended with it, is this idea of failure. And I think that's so much of why I love this podcast, actually, is because I think we're so afraid. There's like these point in time decisions where you have to decide what to do. And you're so afraid of the other side. And yet I now look at you and I'm going, gosh, I can't imagine, you know, you're on the other side of the fence when you're in your W-2 job thinking about leaving. And now you're on the other side. And I'm imagining the idea of going back feels like awful. (laughs) But at the same time, my husband and I talk about this all the time. I'm like, if we can leave, we can always go back if we ever wanted to. Like, there's nothing that says this is a linear path for life and you have to stop here. You have to keep going down this path. You can go back. You can go to a different path. And actually, it's it's you that I think taught me that is that, you know, I can just grab another skill, improve my stack and maybe go another way. I, you know, you can't really predict exactly how things are going to go. But willingness to take that risk and and move beyond the failure and knowing like there's no reason this is not a finite decision there's always another decision on the other side of that has been a really yeah it's just eye-opening I think how we think we have to figure out our life at 18 when good god there's a lot of things I couldn't figure (laughs) out at 18 I mean, can you honestly, can you imagine what are the odds of actually figuring out like, what do you want to be figuring out that decision at the age of, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and then making it all without ever having done the job, going to college for four years and then been on the other side and land the job that you thought at 18 and you were like, and then four years later, 
still liking that decision. I mean, what, who does that describe? <laughs> who is that person? I know. I know. I look at people who've stayed in their jobs for 30 years and I'm thinking how on earth, like you are the most loyal person I've ever met, I guess. I don't know. I think it's, it's is that it? Is it, is it loyalty? Is it love of, is it like, you know what I mean? Like I think Kaiser, I think it was Kaiser that did a job satisfaction survey here in the, in the United States. And in that survey, you know, 70% of the whole population, the representative sample were deeply unsatisfied with their current job. And, you know, all of us, I think we were kind of, we think in a very linear fashion and we've been kind of in this funnel since we were kindergarten, that things were going to go a certain way. We're handed this playbook of what a normal life is, should look like and breaking free of that, even in the most marginal of ways is terrifying, yeah. terrifying. Cause you're like, you don't get a mulligan. You can't go back get all of those decisions squared away by the age of 18 because um, that's that's your shot. Yeah, that's crazy. You get a new day tomorrow. <laughs> that's that's I mean. right. That's <laughs> you right. can take a new chance. Right. Let's talk about you and Brad because I think that you said that that's a pretty pivotal spot in all of this was you had done nothing. You know, life got in the way and, you know, forgive you, that happens. That's probably the excuse of 80% of the people that don't take action is life gets in the way. But you said something there that I think is really helpful. And even in this space, you know, we're talking on Ordinary Sherpa a lot about adventure. And it's so hard to find your tribe of people that just don't think like uh -huh. normal people, you know. And Brad's reaching out to you with this message saying, hey, what did you do? And that was kind of the spark. How have you found just kind of those accountability partners? Have you now have a, an entire tribe around you really kind of checking in as you dream? Or <laughs> do you do you keep your dreams quieter? <laughs> probably the fortunate space that I'm in now is that I've really been able through networking, through networking events, uh, through different various conferences in our niche, been able to build out a pretty solid network of people that have a similar mindset and I'm able to kind of, you know, through masterminds or other, you know, impromptu calls have really had a wonderful place to brainstorm different ideas. So that's kind of been built over time, but, but going back to, you know, starting out in the beginning, it is so important to find your tribe. Yeah. Wonderful news is that it does not have to be in person, at least at the beginning. It is amazing advantage. If you can bridge the in-person gap and you can get involved in an actual local group in your area, you can get probably 60, 70, 80% of all the benefits just by engaging with the tribe that has your desired behavior or trait or skill or whatever that is just through online groups like Facebook. It's just, you know, that, that really is true. What you want to do is you just want to start simmering in ideas, right? And simmering in and kind of drawing inspiration from what other people are doing and figuring out what your version of this is going to look like. So depending on, you know, what it is that we're talking about, the key is though, you don't know what you don't know. You really don't. And there's no real way to get around that other than to immerse yourself with people that are sharing ideas that are unorthodox and are, you know, directionally accurate with whatever it is that you are trying to accomplish. And I have found that the financial independence community is such a blessing because they're making just remarkable choices and they're just regular people. Yeah. They're regular people making remarkable choices and they're so, and you don't know exactly what it's going to be, but they're optimized in so many different aspects of your life that if you spend long enough around this community of people, you get ideas for, you know, basically everything that you might could possibly want to tackle. And I think about why is that? I think it's because the financial independence community is a community of people that have largely reclaimed your most precious resource, your time. You got to have time. You know, you got to, you, and if you don't have time, you've got to build lanes to acquire more control over what you do have. 
And so I think the Phi community has put a disproportionate amount of time into optimizing various aspects of their life and thinking outside the box in very creative ways. So I have just gleaned an incredible amount of inspiration and ideas from the financial independence community. And in the early days, it was very, very helpful for me to go to events like uh, Camp Fi. People that I'm still working with to this day are people relationships that I fostered at Camp Fi. And I will also add on to that, you know, in the finance space, uh, FinCon. Uh, that conference was really incredible for finding like-minded individuals. And there's people that I've met, you know, four or five years ago in those events that are, you know, still very, very good friends to this day. Thank you for sharing all of that. Because I think it sometimes feels like you're on an island, that you're alone in this space. And I know I just having gone through the podcasting space, you know, that having a tribe of people that are even podcasting, like building out this brand and this voice, there's so much that goes into it. And you just wonder sometimes, like, am I just speaking into a mic by myself? You know, I don't have the luxury of a co-host. So it's been really fun to see and think and hear how people are building their networks, how they're connecting with others, finding their tribe. Just even that ecosystem that you explained, you know, the meetups and the virtuals, they're all possible. But you have to be willing to take the first step, too. You can't just sit here and wait for everyone to come to you because that just doesn't happen as much. I want to talk a little bit about podcasting. Are you okay shifting gears just a little bit? Let's do it. I'm curious about, like, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I know what your thoughts are, but I'm curious, why podcasting? Why did you not go with a book? Or why did you not? I mean, I know you talked about a blog, but why did you decide that podcasting was the route that you were going to go? Yeah. So there's, you know, when I started it there, you know, there, there's the actual start and then there's kind of now benefit of hindsight has that, you know, has my perception uh, shifted. But in, uh, so we started in end of 2016, beginning of 2017, I looked through the different, I, you know, so, okay, I want to create content. I want to share a story. How do I want to do that? And I think this is probably comes to, you know, individuals' personalities to some varying degree. I like to think of things in terms of like a Venn diagram, right? Or mm -hmm. you could say like a checkbox or some sort of pros and cons list. But the, the, the thing I would say is not every pro and every con are equally weighted, right? So it's like a weighted pros and cons list or a Venn diagram is probably another way of thinking about it. And for me, when I was looking, I was like, all right, my preferred medium is in terms of how quickly I can produce content and curate my ideas is, is talking to start out with. I would rather have a conversation about a subject matter than write mm -hmm. it. That's just a bias that I have to begin with. On top of that just being a natural bias, the next layer of that is the time involved. So I can use my words and force myself to be clear, to be focused, to get my idea on point. But to, to replicate that in writing is going to take much, much longer in my mind. It's going to take longer to write the subject matter and I don't enjoy it as much. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't enjoy what it is you're doing, you're probably going to give up along the way. I do know people that would much rather write than say anything out loud. And so, okay, maybe that, you know, that's going to, and I would even go so far as to say another person in my space, uh, Mr. Money Mustache. Yeah. I suspect and suspect strongly that lightning is in a bottle when he is writing. He loves to write. He communicates in an incredible way via writing. And I've heard his interviews. He does great interviews, but I suspect they're more painful for him, you know, to do interviews than there are to craft, you know, this amazing life-changing content via the written form. So we all kind of have our own natural biases yeah. there. I'm going to focus on more, some sort of live production, like a podcast, as opposed to a blog, but you could also do a YouTube channel. Why did I focus on podcasting over YouTube? And I think that's maybe more relevant for many people. If they're really starting to get their voice out of the universe, they're trying to pick up a platform. And I would say this is where I can have more clarity because I actually decided to do both a podcast and a blog, right? Mm -hmm. But I did not do YouTube, at least out the gate. 
And my thoughts there were YouTube, even at the time, had market saturation. Now, now do they have market saturation? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It's something absurd. But I think YouTube has like 30 million channels on YouTube right now. And, and that date, that, that's a year old. So it's probably much, much more than that. But at the time that I was recording, I'm sure it was like 20 million, et cetera. It felt very saturated. It's like, how am I going to break through in the personal finance space? Whereas with podcast podcasting, at the time, it was like a, a very infant industry, even though it had been going on like 10 years, it was relatively small at the time. And now it's still relatively small compared to the YouTube channel. There was, I think 1 million at the time that maybe it's 1.5 at this point, but at the time of this recording, there's around 1.5 million podcasts. And when you look at how many of them are active, the numbers are even much smaller. So those were a couple of factors. And then you actually, I went down farther and I started looking at, you know, what would be the technical requirements with podcasting? I knew I was just responsible for clean audio. Mm -hmm. And even I was not aware of how much went into video as I am today, but I can tell you from my perspective today that video, all right, you have to have clean audio, which by the way, is made much more complicated if you're trying to get clean audio along with clean video. And so there's, the, there's your microphone, there's your video camera setup, there's your actual recording setup. Is that going to go into a computer? Is there a high-end computer that you're going to need to edit said video? And then on top of all of that, you're not done because then you still need to sort for lighting. And with all of that in mind, I was like, all right, I just need to focus on telling a great story. <laughs> and with a podcast, you know, Heidi, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you know, it's, like there's an art form to creating high quality audio, but it does not have to be expensive. Yeah. I think you taught me that out of the gate, that this is a pretty low barrier cost of entry, you know, to get into the obviously, yes, you do need to be somewhat good, obviously, in your in your audio quality. And you want to be able to have your voice and tell a story. I think there's some traits that make you a better podcaster. But the barrier to entry is pretty small in podcasting. And I think that was a shock to me. You know, I think when you showed us the equipment that was available and, and what it was going to cost, I was like, oh, my gosh, I could literally start tomorrow for a couple hundred bucks. Like it wasn't necessarily something that I had to master this huge skill and get the audio and the editing. You know, I figured it out within a, well, it obviously took more than a couple of weeks, but <laughs> within reason, yeah. it could be something with a low cost of entry and not a lot of time if I was willing to put the time in to do it. And so I, I think I agree. I think it had a really great, I also am biased. You know, I like to have conversations and talk much more than I would want to write something. So I too think that there are natural tendencies into the space. I've had a lot of people say, why don't you start a YouTube channel? And I was like, because I don't want to. <laughs> I just, I don't want to. Do you, do you know what I would be signing up for? Do you know what sort of commitment would go? Yeah, it's a yeah. lot less time involved. And also, you know, thinking about who is it that I'm trying to reach? Where are the people that I'm trying to reach? They're not YouTubers in my yeah. in-house. The people that I was trying to talk to were not YouTubers. And so one really cool uh, benefit of podcasting is, you get a wonderful opportunity to have conversations with people that you greatly admire or that you have had or that you have a great interest in finding out more about their story. And so podcasting is relatively easy to pull that off, to get a guest to commit to that. So if you as a host you know, are worried about the technical challenges of having video, it's compounded. Everything is compounded when you're talking about doing it with guests as well. So mm -hmm. And I think there was a learn. I'm not trying to say there wasn't a learning curve. I, so for instance, when I got my original setup, it was much more expensive than it needed to be in part because I, you know, I tried to take a, a smattering of, of tutorials and lessons that were out there. I tried, I tried all of it just cause I, 
it was funny. So first I tried doing it the free way. Like, how do I learn how to podcast? How do I, how do I learn how to podcast? And the problem is like, there's no real way to vet the quality of that information and to recognize what they're not telling you or what the considerations are that you aren't aware of based on what you would need. And so I tried to just find, you know, the, the biggest profile people that were talking about it. And I ended up buying way too much of a package. It was way too complicated. And I realized that that information was largely out of date. And so, you know, over time I was really trying to simplify what is the core setup you need and what are the considerations that would push you to one end or another? And so by the time, you know, Heidi, I, I created a podcast course that I, that you used to launch your podcast. And by the time that I was sharing that, really what it was is this does not have to be that complicated. Right. Like I am very confident you can replicate the show that we created, that Brad and I created, and you can do it with much less equipment than I started with. And you can have the, literally the exact same quality. And just kind of a point of here's the why you should pick this. And here's kind of the process that you should go through. And I think part of that is, you know, it's great to learn something. The best way to learn it and to really lock it in is to teach it. And so I realized, you know, kind of with my own journey, I pivoted from this original story, which is this individual that's trying to get a degree and then realize, well, if you can get a, if you can get a pharmacy degree, if you can get a bachelor degree, if you can get a high school diploma, you can learn anything. It's kind of a way for me to organize all of my thoughts and really say, What's the decision tree that leads you to this process as opposed to something else? And, uh, you know, watching your podcast blow up and really be such a blessing to people's lives. It's really, it, it just fills me with joy to see it because it's like, yes, it's totally doable. And, uh, you're absolutely crushing it. Well, thank you. Well, I have you to thank for that. You're an excellent teacher and you're very generous. I think that has been, you know, since day one, I'm just going to like, give you all kinds of compliments for just a second here. But since day one, Choose FI has always had this very humble voice. And that has been something I have admired. I never felt pitched to. I never felt salesy. Like it always was very humble, very honest, very much a learning type community as opposed to I'm the expert and I know what I'm doing. You should take my advice. Like it never was that. And so it's really what drew me in. And when you offered to do a, a I think it was a free webinar or whatever. I was like, hey, I'm in. <laughs> Why not? Like, I just want to learn from you. I want to hear how you got here. I was very curious myself. And so and then to have these generous people just wrap their arms around and say, hey, what do you need? Let me help. You know, yeah, that's just not something it's unusual to see that type of generosity. And it's, it's been, you know, I have to credit you and Brad for really building that community to that level and welcoming that type of insight. When you bring people on your show, you let them, you know, tell their story, you let them pitch if they want to. You know, I remember even you saying like, no, this is your chance pitch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So yeah, it's just been really helpful. I wanted to ask though, I'm curious in all of your years now has, have being a podcaster, What's been the spillover effect? You know, you talk about uh, talent stacking or ta stacking your talents as well. What kind of things have you gotten from podcasting that are spilling over into other areas of your life or that are leading you on potentially other paths that you would not have been able to predict? So, uh, yeah, if we're picking up with this, the, kind of this arc here, um, when we started Choose FI, I was, you know, relatively early on my financial independence journey, in large part due to the fact that my savings rate had mostly just gone to paying off student loan debt for the, you know, the, the first several years of my professional career. And I was coming to the end of the student loan debt and starting to take that massive savings rate and putting it into savings for financial independence. And so when we started uh, Chooseify the podcast, it was just that something that I did on the side, you know, and, and I don't know exactly how I got conned into this. I'll use that word conned into this because <laughs> I was doing all of the technical production for the show, 
But when Brad and I were deciding, you know, what to do, uh, we decided on, on what format we should have. And this is just an important, you know, process in any, with any podcast or any podcast show, you got to kind of figure out, you know, what is the type of show you want to create? And there's some different ways that you can approach this, but you're probably at this point in the journey, not going to come up with something that's never been done before. So recognizing that mm -hmm. that should take some of the pressure off and then you take a look at, you know, what are the different, you know, ideas that are out there and, uh, you can then implement, you know, several of those to build your own unique creation with your own unique voice. And that's really the thing. And so, uh, Brad suggested based on some of the formats from shows that he had really enjoyed in the past that we do a twice a week show. This is really, where I was going with that a twice a week show <laughs> one on one on Mondays, which would be our main episode. And then we could do like a community roundup that would be on Fridays. I don't know exactly how I said yes. This. I tend to be a yes person. <laughs> hadn't really cultivated this no muscle, but I said yes to that. And, uh, for the first probably three or four months, uh, you know, Heidi, you know, what is involved with the twice a week show. Uh-huh. And I was doing, you know, I was, I was doing all of the editing on top of the, uh, on top of the actual, you know, being the host and with co-host of Brad and recording these episodes. Sometimes you'd have guests and we need to set them all up. Now, the good news is I had tons of content, you know, tons of content, but that yeah. doesn't help when you actually get to the point that you're editing this show. And, you know, I wanted as the editor, I wanted everything to be perfect. Like, you know, the, mm. my bar was so ridiculous needs to be X, Y. And this is also, you know, you're relatively in practice. You're getting familiar with this talking medium. You're using probably more filler words at that particular point than you would after you've done, you know, maybe a hundred shows and you've really gotten used to being okay with the pause when that comes. And I didn't want any filler words. And I would just, I would just say, how can we get this episode tighter? How can we get it tighter? How can we get it tighter? And I remember there were a few people that would say, wow, this episode sounds so clean early on. And my smile would be like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because I edited out every single filler word, you know, like, yes. But jokes on me, I was spending six to eight hours an episode, easy, maybe even longer than that. And I was doing that twice a week and this was my, my thing on the side. And so yeah. I ran both of those in parallel and slowly I got better and more efficient and I learned best practices and I realized some of the stuff I was doing, how outrageous it was, that sort of thing. And I kind of got my process down to a much more tenable amount. And then what happened alongside that, because again, a podcast just by itself does not generate revenue just because you create audio and put it out into the universe does not mean that you are, you have a business. You do not have a business at right. that point, which is fine if you want a side hustle, but I was interested in turning, creating a business. So I, this is one of those, you don't know what you don't know. What are the business models that are out there for podcasters? Mm -hmm. And it really is, you know, you could basically take every podcast that's out there and you could find a common pattern and there would be probably five or six different ways that podcast can make money. And I don't have this list in front of me, but Heidi, we could probably brainstorm it. It's the, the most obvious ones that most people think of are advertising. Mm -hmm. Affiliates. Affiliate would be the next one. You might have a, a digital or physical product. When I say physical product, maybe some people have t-shirts or swag. Maybe a book would be another one. A, a great one if you have it is a course. Mm -hmm. A lot of times a course can be a fantastic offering. You probably aren't going to have it though when you launch, right? It's something that in many cases for a podcaster, when they launch a podcast, over time, they build a product to serve their audience. And that's something, you know, that, that you can work towards. You can, if you have it right out the gate, but a lot of times, you know, it's something that's going to be built. Another one is you can be uh, audience supported, you know, mm -hmm. so you could be um, a pay only podcast. You could be a Patreon podcast offering extra value. 
these types of things. Now, I'm sure there's something else. I'm not trying to be, you know, the one that is intangible, but a lot of times uh, creeps into the situation is that your brand generally actually becomes more valuable over time, which can open up all sorts of opportunities, maybe speaking opportunities, et cetera. So these are just, in my mind, as I just kind of see the framework right now, that feels, I'm, I'm sure there's something that I missed, but that feels pretty close to what the opportunities that are out there. And for us starting out, as I look at that a la carte options of what I saw, the one that was, and I still tell this to podcasters, really to most people that getting started, the one that is the most accessible right out the gate is affiliate marketing. It is, it is relatively easy to do. You are in a niche and whatever it is that you're talking about, there are probably products and services that you love, that you lean on and that are totally aligned with what your audience is looking for. Many of those companies Uh, have affiliate programs. And if someone takes up on your recommendation using your link or using your coupon code or whatever that might be, a company will pay you a commission at no additional cost to the user. Mm -hmm. So this is relatively low friction. It's an easy way to bring this in. And and I'll just say it's very humble. I remember our first affiliate link and our first affiliate commission was an affiliate commission off an Amazon book recommendation. I remember that first 35 cents. I really do. And I was like, you know what? It was 35 cents and I spent at least 200 hours working on something before I ever made it. But you know what? I made it while I slept. Made it while I slept tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Winning. And this was this tiny, it's it's actually, there's a lot of parallels here to the financial independence community. It's that happened because of content that we create in the universe that added value to someone's life. And they took us up on that recommendation and we were paid that commission because of it. But for that little taste, that little bit, I had separated my time for my money. Now in that particular example, it was working to my disadvantage because clearly my day job paid much, much more than, you know, than what I was making from affiliate income at that particular point in time. But I recognize it's effectively the same goal that we have when we're reaching financial independence. We are trying to separate our time from, you know, our revenue sources. Mm-hmm. And we can do that by reaching financial independence and following things like the 4% rule. We can do that equally through investing in things like real estate. As long as it's passive, I feel like a lot of people build a job for themselves with real estate, but then you can also do that with building a digital business, a content-based business. And so in the early days with these types of things, your time is separated from your money, but it can work against you because it can take a lot of time to earn a disproportionately low amount of income. But if you start building up this well of goodwill, this well of trust, this body of content that's serving people and is valuable, it gives you additional opportunities to make recommendations over time that can you know, help your audience in different places. And what's amazing about podcasts, especially the type of podcast that, that we made and that I know that you have created as well, is the content is relatively evergreen. Meaning, Heidi, you went back and you listened to episode one and then you binged mm-hmm. 200 episodes. It wasn't that you know that represents 200 weeks. It means that there was a body of content that served you over maybe a year or so of your life and that was the thing that you listened to. And not every episode served you, but some episodes had ideas and products and services that served you very well. And I, maybe at some point you chose to take us up on one of those recommendations. It's just kind of the idea that's the underpinning of an affiliate-based business model that can be you know, wrapped around podcasting to turn podcasting from a side hustle into a business. And I, Brad likes to say this. He's like, I, he always looks for things that are win-win. And so our case is that was our decision tree on whether or not we would add an affiliate. Is this a win-win for our audience? 
Yeah. I think that is part of the tone that you were able to set, you know, when you were talking about your voice and your what you were able to offer your audience because we trusted you. You know, we had you in our ears for how many weeks? <laughs> if you were like me, it was nonstop. And you know, we learned to trust you because if you were making a recommendation and you found value from it, you were using it or you were recommending it, uh, why wouldn't I? You know, if that sounds something I could use or could solve a problem in my life, that was that was an easy way for me to buy into whatever you were selling or whatever Kool-Aid you were offering. I was drinking it. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well the Kool-Aid, uh, mostly delicious. But let's just talk about that for a second. For people in your audience that are business owners, it is hard to overstate how long it can take to earn that trust and how quickly it can be broken. Yeah. That is your, you know, that's your highest level of cachet, right? That's your most important asset that you're building is trust over time. So nothing is is worth, a short-term buck is never worth what it might cost you. Like if you were to crush that or you were to betray that trust. So any of us as business owners, and I think, you know, when you're, you're offering, we're talking about a, a podcast or you're talking about just a business where you're offering a service, really keeping that credibility and that trust in mind is absolutely essential. And the one thing I would add just generally about podcasting, you know, as a potential business model, you know, for people or for as a way to, I wouldn't say the podcast is a business, but podcast gives you a chance to build a business. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a, it's like a megaphone for your business. I think, you know, like it's the yeah. top, it's the way to talk about what you stand for, but it's, you know, there's, there's other things that are beneath the, the podcast, generally speaking. Absolutely. And this is one thing that I feel like we did a good job thinking about uh, early on was we're not trying to create a podcast, even though people might, when they say choose a vibe, just say podcast, we were trying to create really an ecosystem, right? So the podcast give us a chance to amplify the idea of what this ecosystem could be, and then really build that out over time to help people accomplish their goals. And that's like, that's a, that's a forever goal, right? Mm -hmm. That's not something that we'll ever solve. It's like, how can we build an ecosystem that helps people reach financial independence on a, on a more replicable way in a more, you know, in a way that feels a lot more bite-sized. It feels like you're empowered. It feels like you have community around you that's also supporting you on this path. How can we create content to make it easier? How can we highlight people that have been on this path and, and, you know, the successes they've had and then put that back into the community to inspire, you know, effectively the next generation these were all ideas. And the, the larger idea behind even that was, I recognize this very early on. It was, it was kind of actually that fear of entrepreneurship was always the idea that, you know, everybody knows small businesses fail. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows. I mean, we can think about it right now, even throughout, even throughout COVID. I mean, a lot of small businesses have really struggled. And I even knew some people in the, the venture capital space in Silicon Valley, massive projects blew through millions of dollars of venture capital. And, you know, when the money ran out, they closed up and moved on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are really, really smart people, great marketers, et cetera. Now, what we are doing and what, what I love about podcasting is that we are building an audience first business, right? So as opposed to you make a product end to end, and then you go out and you try and sell it. We are just focused on serving our audience, growing our audience, finding the people looking for this content and getting it in front of them and really tailoring it to their needs. When you have an audience first business model, build the audience first and you can figure out the product later and you can even get their input on what that product should actually be. I'm sure that resonates with you, Heidi. I know you've done some work really around, you know, this idea of this extraordinary life, you know, through the lens of the ordinary Sherpa, like an audience can weigh in on what they can tell you what it is. In fact, they probably do. I've been trying to find this and I don't see this out there. You know, what would be your suggestions? And you start seeing enough of those and you're like, all right, there's an unmet demand here. 
And I am uniquely situated to be able to bridge that gap. Yeah. And you have to listen. I think that's the most critical thing is <laughs> I can have a million ideas, but if my ideas don't land where, where my audience is, I need, I need to listen to what they want, not necessarily what I want to give. I think that is also a really critical thing I see a lot in podcasting is someone's trying to not just sell, but they have an idea of what is next and that's not what their audience is interested in. So they have to listen to the audience as well. So I ripped it away from you and I want to get back to close the loop on this story. So I made 35 cents and oh, yeah. clearly, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to walk away from, uh, from my job because I made 35 cents, but, um, I really worked this affiliate, uh, this affiliate angle and, you know, using the spend diagram, we had a series of products and, and those products, uh, for many people that listen to the show, there's no surprises here. Uh, but we, you know, we were looking at if, if I here, here was the Venn diagram. All right. I love it. I personally used it. I haven't used it, but I would recommend it for my mom. <laughs> right. Or my sister or my family member, because, you know, there's some aspect of it doesn't fit my situation. But if I were there, this is what I would do. Those are the first two. That's up and to the left. That's positive and green. Those are the type of affiliates that you want to know you want to use. And then as you keep working down, you're like, if you go farther down then it would be. All right. I don't love it, but they pay me really well. Well, that's not great. Yeah. Like I don't really want to be. We go back to the trust aspect. Those kind of fall off now. But then there's the other ones that are a little bit more gray, like they pay you really well, but you're, you would use it, but your audience isn't interested in it, right? There's, the alignment isn't there. Those also probably fall. So we could, you could kind of formalize these and, and work it out. But we were able to just pick two or three that were, you know, green and green, right? Mm -hmm. Our audience loved it. The, the conversions and the affiliate payouts were pretty good. And we've used them personally. And we were, for us, it was, you know, some life insurance products, travel rewards, and uh let's see what else personal capital for tracking your net worth m1 for your finance like these are the ones we we've been using them for years we've been talking about them actively they had affiliate programs the affiliate programs are actually pretty decent and we would just tell our audience like hey if you would like to support us the these are our favorite products and these are our links if you want to support us you'll be able to do that at no additional cost to yourself and you'll be able to get the results that we were talking about you know on the show and that was wildly wildly successful now What's interesting about this is that I, you know, following the tenets of financial independence, I'd paid off all my debt and to pay off my debt, I'd have to have a, you know, a 60, 70% savings rate that I'd maintained for nearly four years. And I'd, I'd kept that going to the degree that I could have funded our life, you know, on what we were currently spending for at least two years, just with savings that I had. So I had what we affectionately call in the FI community, FU money, mm -hmm. freedom unlimited. <laughs> and the idea, you know, just the idea is that like, if the worst case scenario happened and that you weren't bringing in a paycheck, you had at least two years to figure out what it is that, you know, you wanted to do, to get a mulligan, to go back, to transfer, to rescale into another job. You had options. So I, I had that, that, you know, that tailwind behind me. And Choosify was increasingly taking up more time. We, we were getting better at this. We were putting more resources into it. I was still editing all of it. And it had some traction behind it. And th there were three things that happened. So one, uh, and I'm trying to remember all three of them now. It's been several <laughs> years. But yeah, here we go. Here we go. We had a conference that we wanted to go to, our first conference for FinCon. And number two, right behind that, we actually had a documentary that wanted to come film with us. And, you know, wow, what a crazy opportunity. This documentary wanted to come film with us. And then number three, we were also due to go visit my wife's family. And you mentioned my wife's family earlier, but, you know, we we're going to go on this uh, travel rewards adventure using travel rewards, go to Zimbabwe, see your family. That's a international trip. You know, it's, it's not something you can do quickly. It, it takes two weeks. Yeah. 
to turn around just to get over the jet lag, et cetera. And you know, it's, it's expensive trip. So you kind of got to do it strategically. So we had the travel rewards all set up, but I am facing the typical corporate America. You know, you get 14 to 20 days total vacation a year and you can't use them all together. Not at my, not at my, I haven't been in my job long enough to get away with that. So I looked in the company's policies, worked for a big corporate pharmacy. I saw they had something called unpaid uh, family leave of absence and it was conditional. You know, you had to get your DMs, you know, sign off on it. And I went to my boss and I said, hey, you know, I've got everything in order here. The pharmacy's running tip top shape. Uh, it's not ideal, but I have X, Y, Z things that are really important to me that I want to do. Would it be possible for me to take an unpaid leave of absence? You know, I'm sure there's other terminology for this, but would it be possible? And my boss uh, responded to me and said, you know, I, I just, I don't think it's in the company's best interest for us to let you do that. And it was crushing. I mean, you know, I don't take these sorts of things, these ask lightly, but I, but I did, I put myself out there. And to be honest with you, I really thought they would say yes. Yeah. I really thought they would say yes, but they did. And, um, I'd gotten the bug though. I wouldn't say that I was brave, but what I had done is I'd, I'd taken the moves to skirt around that fear that I otherwise would have had. And what were those things? You know, I had the, that my debt was paid off. I had two years of savings and I had a side hustle that while it was not replacing my income, it was trending in a great direction. And, you know, it was getting close to covering, you know, a significant portion of my expenses while I was working on it part-time. And I was like, man, if I could just put more time into this what a great adventure. I should give this a shot. So if all that's running in the background. I say to my employer, I don't think it's in my best interest to stay, you know, and who gets to say that, right? Who gets to say that normally when that's, when you put that ultimatum down there, you just meekly go back to your desk. That's such an awesome story. I love it because that's, that's the moment where you know, like, okay, there's no turning. Well, I guess you could turn back, but still you had all of the pieces in place. This is the lifestyle that you could design because you'd done all of the blocking and tackling and the defense work in order to get to this point. So I do think, you know, as much as I am not necessarily preaching financial independence, I do think having your finances in order, having enough of a runway to give you the peace of mind to say that, I don't think it's in my best interest to stay. It feels really, it's so powerful when you actually feel like you're in control of your life. We all got to get there as quickly as possible. I mean, can you, I, I just, it causes me agitation to imagine not having that level. And this was long before reaching financial independence, just knowing that you had more say over your destiny, right? You had more say over what that next chapter was going to be. And I think so many of us have to wait until something really bad happens to then just almost from a, a scarcity mindset, quickly get back into something. And if you can start strategizing ahead of time when things are okay, when things are, maybe they're not great, but they're not horrible right now. If you can start making some of these, asking yourself some of these lifestyle design questions now, I think most things are solvable. The most boring part was paying off the debt. That part is, <laughs> it's, it's grunt work. I don't have any like magic. I, I, even now I don't feel like I have any magical answers for paying off debt other than we can, you know, get a raise, but take it seriously, pay off the debt. The debt is limits your options. It really does. Once you pay that off, you can unlock flexibility. You can unlock choice in a world where you can do anything. I highly suggest you choose financial independence or at least choose to be on that path, right? I think the path to financial independence opens up, you know, if you think about like the Audubon or whatever, and you have one on ramp and one off ramp. This is more like 
you, you can get off on any ramp you want. I mean, you can go, you can use the power of just being on the path for a few years, having the fundamentals in place to customize and design your own version of this, which is why now when you're talking to people in the, in the financial independence space, you hear people using their own terms like, well, I'm, I'm going for fat fi, I'm going for lean fi, I'm going for coast fi, I'm going for barista fi because they're picking their own off ramp. Yeah. It's their version. It's their version of the story. You know, I love it. I love it. And yeah, that's what we've been joking about for years is that, well, we're practicing Phi life. <laughs> we've taken, I think that's been so fun for us is now it's given us permission, even though we aren't Phi, we are enjoying life because we're not so stressed about work or about making more money because we aren't paying for more things. It's given us more freedom to choose what we want our life to look like and to practice it. You know, we took three weeks in Hawaii. Actually, that was awesome because it was all pretty much paid by travel rewards. And I didn't know that was possible. So that was cool. But then we took two weeks in July and three weeks in August again. And, you know, it was like we were able to do all of these things because we had designed our life to be that way and we were practicing it. So now Next summer um, is even a bigger adventure, which I'm not going public with it just yet, but <laughs> it definitely Ooh. is just giving us the confidence. Every time we do something, we're like, oh, that wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it was going to be. So it, it does breed confidence. And it also, you find more people that are like you and you're not, you're not always the odd duck out too. I, I love all, all the things. It's so exciting to hear that there are so many people at so many different points and you can succeed and decide what you want your life to look like. So Heidi, I had actually, one of the big pivots for me, um, over the last year has been talking about this idea of building up your talent stack. This has been a huge focus for me and it really inspired me to create the podcast. And then I created that podcast course and, the, but then I actually created a podcast, you know, really talking about this idea of the talent stack. And I'd be curious, like you took the course and then you've built this and through the lens of a talent stack. I'd love just to hear like what you, how you personally have developed. What have you added? What do you feel like you've added to your talent stack over the last year or year and a half? Yeah. Oh gosh. A lot actually. So some of it just comes down to the mechanics of running an organization or a business or whatever you might want to call it at this point. But things like the logistics of workflows and automations are things that I just didn't care about before, but now they're game changers in my life. And I didn't know that those were really tools that I needed until I was exposed to them and went, holy cow, like why, why do I bother emailing back and forth to schedule things? This is crazy. Or why don't I have things in my credit card just automatically go into my budget? You know, things like that, that are just life skills. They, they're, they're helpful for me as a business. But I think more importantly in just leadership development, if you want to call it that, of finding my voice and being confident in my in what I'm trying to say or what I want my life to be. My husband and I have had so many amazing conversations about like what's on your dream list. And the fascinating thing is these weren't conversations. They were conversations we were having, but not as intentionally as we were. And it, it kind of came from this place of trying to produce content or thinking I needed to create content, actually. And I was like, well, wait a minute. We've already got 10 years of content behind us. We just got to put a voice behind it. So finding our voice, getting confident. And then I would say, you know, connection has been really important. Finding People that I think you say it on your podcast all the time. You are the five people. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I needed to increase my average, I, especially during COVID. I needed to just get out of my head. I needed to get other people's perspectives and just open up my world to what else was possible, what was out there. And so podcasting has really just given me an entire new stage for connection to families, to other people, just different thoughts. 
And that was just possible because I put a mic in front of my face, you know, and that's just the beginning. There's so many technical pieces too. I learned editing. It's fascinating. You know, audio looks scary because it's these wavy lines. It's essentially like copy and paste in certain areas and delete. It's really not that hard. But all these things that I always had like on the someday maybe list are now life has just been expedited to say like, why are we waiting? What is the purpose of pushing those things down the line? So things like writing a book. I never would have thought to write a book, but I realized there's a story that I have to tell that is inside of me. And I don't even care if anybody buys this book, but it's fun to just see, (laughs) you know, what's possible that all these things that I thought were things that I would do, quote unquote, when I retired, like, why am I waiting? There's a, there's a time right now, there's an opportunity right now. So it's just given me, I think more than anything, confidence and connection, clarity, one, just a tactical skill. One thing I've gotten really good at practicing is clarity because in every episode you have to be super clear about what's your call to action is there a call to action or on social media what's the call to action and so many times i'm just like here's an idea <laughs> you know like <laughs> I, I never like suggest doing anything with it so even it i know that's this sounds really silly but it's gotten me to be a better parent cuz now i'm talking with my kids from the lens of like clarity around communication so that my call to action when i'm asking them to do something is very clear not like go pick up your room it's like hey can you, whatever, I'm being a little silly now, but that it's true. Like all of those things just make you, they spill over in so many different aspects of your life. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, if I could, if I could, uh, wrap this little bow on, on, on a bit, uh, on some of this for me, the, the biggest, the, the piece that's been the most exciting for me has really been able to flesh out this concept of being a talent stacker. It's honestly where I find the most enjoyment in my own personal identity at this point is, you know, when you say, you know, I'm the type of person that I really have come up with the fact that like, I'm the type of person that can learn anything if I'm interested. So it's so fun to find things that you're interested in and learn them and give them yourself the the room and the space to do it in a safe way where, yeah, you're going to fail, but you're going to fail forward. Uh, and just try to try to encounter failure as often as possible you know, through the lens of interest-led learning. And maybe if you want to be more practical about it, because I think a lot of us, we do have to be cautious with all the things that we take on. I think the idea of doing it through the lens of a talent stack uh, really gives us a way to kind of keep an eye on ROI and what we're putting our, our, you know, our life energy into, especially when we're earlier on on our financial journey. Um, there is a point probably where you know, you have more time, you have more space and you, maybe you don't need to keep as much of a lens on what's the ROI going to be on this. But for me, um, you know, the skills that you just mentioned are all very, very valuable skills. And, um, when I look at kind of the way the world has going right now, it seems like at least in the, in the, you know, for the last 30 or 40 years, you know, your ability to get a job and a high paying job was, based on, you know, a degree, you got a degree and then that really opened up the door to get a job. And then you would be in the job and that maybe built the skill set. Um, and you're able to, that would be able to translate maybe directly as long as you're staying in the same lane to the next job. And now the world that we live in, I believe it'll be proven out. I think it already is being proven out. It's driven by skills mm-hmm. and you know, it's degrees are largely, um, you know, it, it clearly you got to pick your profession. So this isn't true in every profession. Right. You're not, I'd prefer my doctors to still have skills. Yep. <laughs> Yep, but but we move outside of the doctor, architect, lawyer, you know, uh, space and probably 90% of the jobs that are out there are, are going to be skill-based. And, you know, I, I created a podcast, which I, if everybody 
you know, go check it out. You can look it up. There's just five episodes. And it was just, I wanted to one, have the students of the podcast course, be able to have a podcast to reference to see how I put it together. And I used it to show inside the course, you know, here's how I would go about doing it. But it really, it encompasses this idea that I wanted to communicate that skills are incredibly valuable. And when you have these, you, you unlock a framework for the universe. And, um, I just, I think it's really important that people get there, but I think the biggest hurdle is most people don't, the fear of failure, because in school, there's consequences for failing the test, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's not when you're in the sandbox, you just, you just like take the fact that you did it and it didn't work. And now you iterate and see what does work. So get your sandbox, enjoy the process of failure and learn what you want to learn. Start adding to that, that skill set. And, and I guess this, to, to tack onto that, a talent stack that was drawn from uh, Scott Adams. I think the book title, I'm not going to get this 100% at this point, but it was like how to fail at nearly everything and still win big. And the point he was making is, you know, the odds are we're not going to be world-class at anything. You might have something you're world-class at. I'm not, I'm not world-class. But, but if you can become better than average at a bunch of things that at face value, you look disconnected, you can start to merge those skills into something that's truly spectacular. So for instance, in our, in our specific case, Heidi kind of ended up with similar tracks. The fact that, uh, we're both clear communicators now, that's something that by the way, you do get better at Mm -hmm. as you practice something like a podcast, you become a much more clear communicator. The fact that you're clear communicator, you can tell a story and the fact that on the back end, you've also learned how to build a website. You've learned how to do basic automations. You've learned how to incorporate email. You've learned how to do, you know, these have opened up all sorts of opportunities that make that are, that are, that that's your, that's your effectively that I don't know. I'm trying to think, what is it? That's your fortress of solitude. That's your, mm-hmm. that's your moat. That's your, you know, that, yeah, that is what is going to create this unique space in the universe for you to thrive because you have built this skill set that each thing by itself doesn't really make sense, but it's interested learning and it's getting applied to a business that you're building out of love over time and you're doing it in a risk-free way. That's awesome. That's exactly, and it honestly, that all aligns really well too with adventure. You know, when I think about adventure is an experience that's uncomfortable. It catches you outside of your zone of awareness of things that you would typically do, you know, it stretches you. And I, for me, podcasting was a great adventure and it still is. I still enjoy it. I'm, you know, still learning a lot and it's still stretching me. And I think there's that that you just created the space too. There's a sandbox there. That's the adventure sandbox or whatever you want to call it. There's no reason that you can't fail there and try it and you know, if you don't like it, don't do it again. So what? Who cares? (laughs) You can decide what you want to go forward with and you don't have to be worried about being good enough. It actually is better if you're not. I, I kind of like being the underdog actually in some cases, because mm. then you can just, there's no pressure to be good, be the underdog, aim to be the underdog. That's even more fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are actually, there are real sports teams and they will do whatever they can do to be perceived as the underdog, yeah. like just manufacture Michael Jordan, basketball player, Michael Jordan. Yeah. I watched his, uh, six part, uh, uh, Netflix series, I believe. And it was amazing, but you could just tell the common theme is he would do whatever he had to do to manufacture his identity as an underdog. Even if it was just in his own mind, he was fighting back against the odds. So there was something humorous there. And you can, in that case, even the people that are world-class are trying to somehow manufacture the underdog aspect. It does work. It does. It does. There's some mentality behind it. 
Jonathan, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for the conversation. If people wanted to connect with you, they wanted to follow up, maybe they're interested in podcasting. Is there any way, what would you suggest? How could they connect with you? Yeah. So uh, let's see. So for my podcast is Choose FI. And I did also create another podcast, very focused, just five episodes right now, talking about building your talent stack. And uh, you can, you know, you're listening to a podcast. You can look for Choose FI on your podcast player of choice. You can look for Talent Stacker on your podcast player of choice. Perfect. Thank you, Jonathan. This has been amazing. I really appreciate your generosity and willingness to just share all of the behind the scenes. It's really been a fun journey and I really appreciate all that you've brought to the space. Oh, thank you, Heidi. It brings me a lot of joy to just see your podcast continuing to serve its audience. It's just an unbelievable platform that you've created and just an absolutely fantastic idea. I can't wait to see what comes out of it in the future years. Boom. (laughs) I love this conversation. I think it's, it's hard to really appreciate when you have someone ahead of you that has really figured the stuff out. It was really challenging for me to not get overwhelmed. And I think that's true around so many things, like finding the right people, people that are ahead of you, having that community to like play in the sandbox. It's really meaningful. So I have 10 key takeaways from this episode. Number one, I was hearing about people not just claiming their golden years, but their best years with financial independence. The tribe of people who were relatable, that's what kept me going. The disheartening reality was that in order to even create net worth, I first needed to get to broke. And I'd get the paycheck and make the decision to put 70% towards my debt. As he states, I had a whiteboard with 168 boxes to check over four years. And I kept hearing people who had achieved financial independence, but was looking for someone who was doing it now. And I realized there was space in the market for someone on the path like me. Number two, connecting with people in the human sense is important for growing your tribe. The motivation from meeting with Brad lasted about 48 hours, but essentially he went back to work. It wasn't until that follow-up message from Brad that created that accountability spark that he started to Google how to start a podcast and had a discrete window of time that ultimately manifested into Choose FI. While we will never know why, Brad did agree to co-host. Number three, the key to progress was search followed by action. College isn't necessarily interest-led learning. It's focused primarily on the outcome of getting a degree. You can learn anything you want. And like many, Jonathan was given the playbook of what normal life looks like. Leaning into what he was actually interested has actually been where the most growth has personally happened. Number four, the old me was terrified of failure. When you give yourself a creative sandbox to test, fail, pivot, get started, it's less overwhelming. In school, there aren't pros and cons to failing the test. So he had to realize building a stack of talents and skills was going to add greater value to his life trajectory. Number five, if you need to manufacture what you can do to be the underdog and keep the expectations within reach, go for it. Many well-known athletes and celebrities work actively to create an underdog experience. As Jonathan stated, the learning from Scott Adams' book, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big, the goal was not necessarily to be world-class. He simply needed to be better than average. Number six, it is critical to build out a network of people who have a similar mindset. You can simmer in ideas and continue to figure out your version, but you don't know what you don't know. Number seven, following the tenants of Phi, he paid off his debt, maintained a 70% savings rate so that he could fund their life for two years. 
Then he realized he reached the Freedom Unlimited benchmark. And with the culmination of three things converging over a short period of time, he approached his employer with a reasonable request. And when he heard, I don't think it's in the company's best interest to grant that, Jonathan was confident in his response. I don't think it's in my best interest to stay. Number eight, having enough runway in place allows you the freedom and peace of mind to empower you to design a life that you crave. Number nine, Jonathan's first affiliate income was 35 cents for a book that someone found valuable on Amazon, and he made it while he was sleeping. While he had front-loaded that revenue with over 200 hours of work, that simple sale showed him that the model was currently working to his disadvantage, but it demonstrated that he could separate his time from his income. Number 10. In the podcasting space, we are building an audience-first business. Listeners tell me what they're looking for. If you build the content of value to serve others, they will continue to seek out the value you provide over time. Most content is evergreen, and therefore, you'll see listeners finding it years after the content was originally released. Podcasts are not a business model. However, it is a helpful tool in amplifying the ecosystem of the brand. And perhaps the most significant learning from this episode is that it cannot be overstated how long it takes to build trust and how quickly it can be destroyed. Much like Jonathan reached out to Brad and I shared that story in episode 127, Adventures in Entrepreneurship, it was a simple email. For whatever reason, Brad said yes to the meeting and then he followed up and sent an email a month later inquiring about Jonathan's progress. That was really the beginning of Choose FI, the podcast that garners millions of downloads each month and cultivated a community around the world. What is the simple step that you can take today towards your next adventure? If you're curious about podcasting, perhaps the next step is booking a coaching call with me or checking out the links on my website. Until next week, take action, take the next step and keep on adventuring. value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.